all-encompassing moment where I realized I don't really know where we are. Uh, I cannot see my light. I cannot see my dive watch. I have to be, you know, go into that mode of training, which is first thing is you don't panic. Hey guys, my name's Jack and you're watching When It Hits The Fan, the podcast that finds out what really happens when things go wrong on the road. Brought to you by Battleface, the tough face of travel medical. If this is your first time joining us, we talk to explorers, journalists, high-risk backpackers, and more about the most perilous situation they've found themselves in while traveling. That means tales of near misses, close calls, and hair-raising ordeals from some of the most challenging destinations on earth. And we've got a fantastic guest lined up for you today. Christine Dennison has been diving for over 20 years and is not only the first woman to dive and document the Canadian high Arctic, but also Brazilian Amazon's Rio Negro and its tributaries. She is the co-founder and president of Mad Dog Expeditions, an international adventure and exploration company, and the founder of exploringwomen.com, which is a community of role models for women in adventure and exploration. Christine is also a member of the Lost 52 project team, which has made several historic US World War II submarine discoveries. So they're well worth checking out if you've got an interest in uh, history or diving. So that's the introduction. Let's uh, jump straight into it. Uh, Christine, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's great to be here. Thank yeah, you for... absolutely. And I, I hear you're still, uh, unfortunately, in the middle of a heat wave in, in New York. Is that right? Uh, we are at like uh, 33, 34 Celsius today. And it's been like that for a week. So it's not, I'm not a hot weather person. So I'd much rather have this on the negative side. But uh, it is what it is. It's, it's uh, July, August. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and as I understand it, then your tale of a kind of close call also takes place somewhere with a very warm climate. Do you want to kind of tell us what happened? Give us some, some background there? Uh, sure. Uh, again, the expeditions that I run are technical uh, with the diving. These are technical dives. So it's, it's uh, fairly experienced, uh, mixed gas, rebreathers. We were diving, this was early on, I would say, in my career. And one of the expeditions was to wreck the deepest wreck in the Caribbean called the Bianca Sea. And it's an ocean liner that went down in 1961 with limited loss of life. A few people did perish, but it was sunk in about 200, 180, 200 feet of water. And it's off the coast of Grenada and it's a 600 foot liner. When we went down to start exploring the wreck, there were no ship's plans that we had come across. So everything we were doing was documenting and exploratory. And anything that we found, uh, plates or the ship's wheel, we were giving to the Grenada Museum, the historical museum. So it was, it was a fabulous uh, time, uh, great expeditions. On this particular one, um, I, I recall, and it was pivotal for me, and, and I'll get to that point, but I was diving with a partner and before you go in, you, you make your dive plan. The, the issue is when you're diving on exploratory wrecks, which is an overhead environment, you really cannot rely on anybody coming to get you because they're not exactly sure, and you're not sure where you're going to be. You have an idea, your depth, you're aware of your bottom time and where you'll be. So 
Um, my partner and I went inside the wreck and we were hoping to just have some good visibility and look around when I'd say maybe 10 minutes, five minutes into the dive, we had something overhead fell and there was a massive silt out. And for those that are divers and are familiar with uh, wreck diving or cave diving, there are precautions that you take running a, a reel inside, having your lights and monitoring your gas. So, so for people who aren't maybe familiar with this situation, I mean, is that a complete loss of visibility? Is there some visibility kind of, you know, how, how does that play out? It can vary. It can vary from uh, very limited visibility to what we had, which was a complete sort of blackout. I couldn't see, suddenly I couldn't see my light in front of me, which was attached to me. I couldn't see my compass. I couldn't see my dive watch. And a moment like that, this, as I said, this was early on what, I recall was so integral about that situation was it took me back to all the training that I had had. And for those of us in these careers, uh, whether you're on a mountainside, you're in the middle of the Arctic, you're inside a wreck or in a cave, you rely on your training, you know you're there because you have trained to be there, but it's very different when you find yourself in a situation that you have heard about that you've trained for and you have to put it into practice and for me that was that all-encompassing moment where i realized i don't really know where we are uh, i cannot see my light i cannot see my dive watch i have to be you know go into that mode of training which is first thing is you don't panic monitor your breathing so i didn't go through uh, through all my gas and just sort of sit out and wait and go through all the different scenarios. And I remember clearly that what was probably five minutes felt like an hour. And you start to, with, with every second, you're just waiting and looking. And then after a few minutes, I remember seeing a little bit of light. And that light was, I could see that I had a light attached to me. And so again, you sit and you wait. And after, I think it must have been at least five minutes, I was able to see the line that I had um, come in with. And my, my partner was on the other side of that. And he'd been there, we just sort of, you stop and you assess and you, you stay still. Because inside the wreck, there is no real running current. So everything that, if you silt out, you silt out. And uh, that was a really important moment in my diving career because it took me back to the importance of of knowing what you're doing, why you're there, your training, relying on your training, and also recognizing really what you're made of. A lot of people don't know, including myself, what you'll do in a situation like that. And you can plan for it, but you really don't know until you're there. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think it's, it's interesting the, the fact that you talk about the first response being not to panic because you know, this is in, in some ways such a human reaction to, you know, go into panic mode, you know, fight and flight or, or whatever it is. But, you know, in, this, I guess, is the, the enemy of clear thinking and it's the enemy of, of following your training in a situation like that. It is. And, and being very respectful of all of those that have been in situations and not come out of them, you don't know what happened. Um, there is a situation for everyone at some moment in time, given that we do this day in and day out, or we do this for as a, as a profession, everyone has a tale. Um, and luckily, if they're telling it, they came out on the other side, so that's a good thing. But it really is very important to recognize that some people, uh, it really changes their perception of what they're doing, where they won't go back and do it, or they'll avoid that type of situation. 
I learned a great deal about myself moving forward in that I, I didn't panic. I recognized the dangers. And I also recognized how fortunate I was that I have always surrounded myself with the best people that I believe are uh, my role models and learning from them. And I, I do remember thinking about all those things that I had been taught, all those situations that I had been prepared for. And now it was sort of, it's on, on your lap to do what you believe is the right thing to do. And uh, it, was, it was a pivotal moment. And I think everybody has one and every story is different clearly. But for me, it was also very important to recognize as, as a woman, to not be embarrassed if you're uncomfortable. I didn't have an issue going back into the wreck. I didn't have an issue uh, continuing on the path that I was on, on the trajectory. But I did recognize that I was always the only woman on expeditions. And it's very important to not feel that you are somehow different or that you shouldn't voice your concerns if you feel uncomfortable because someone might say, well, you're being a girl or that's just, you know, women's intuition, whatever it is. No, it's really important to rely on your gut feeling about a situation and, and then move in the direction that is right for you. So, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing this instant, you know, actually kind of instilled you with a certain level of confidence that, okay, if something like this does happen, whatever it is, of course, you know, silting up is one scenario, but there, there are many with, uh, you know, technical diving, um, you know, that you have the ability to kind of handle it and, and move on. And of course you wouldn't wish this incident on any diver because it's obviously very dangerous, but I guess in, in, in some ways it's a watershed moment in terms of saying, okay, I move on from that. And actually I'm a stronger diver now who's more aware of my capabilities and how I react, you know, under pressure. And there's no amount of training that really can prepare you for that, you know, initial panic response because it can only be brought on in a, in a real world scenario. No, absolutely. That's an excellent point because for me, it was a, a watershed moment where I came out of that and you get back and you go up uh, from your dive, you decompress and you, you talk about it. And my partner and I had very different, he was, well, I was calm, but he certainly had been in that situation before. And he realized that it was bad. We couldn't see our exit point. We couldn't see our entry point and you couldn't even see the line. So you were going to, the best thing to do was what we did was just to sort of sit and wait. And I remember he being a much more experienced diver was, was very pleased that I, uh, I didn't panic. And I didn't try and get out or move around because that would have made it worse. There's you know, the more self that you create if you start moving around and thrashing about and all that. So uh, it gave me tremendous confidence, but it also reminded me of the importance of training and not taking anything for granted. And no matter how good you think you are, you are not in an environment that is necessarily friendly uh, or an environment that you should really be very, uh, just very, uh, comfortable with, I guess, for lack of a word. Yes, you're comfortable down there. You want to be, but never forget that you are at, we were at uh, 40 meters, about 38, 40 meters, 100. So no, I'm sorry. We were close to 50 meters. Mm -hmm. So inside a wreck uh, at 50 meters, overhead environment, technical diving, mixed gas, it's something to never lose sight of that you really, you know, don't have a whole lot of business being there, but since you are there, you better be as prepared as you can be. And always remember how important your training is and to go into that mode, which is to follow what you know. 
and, and see how that works. And, uh, and that's something that not everybody necessarily knows until they're in that situation. Absolutely. And from what you were saying then, you know, in that situation, you were the, the less experienced of the two divers. So your partner had kind of more real world experience in that type of diving or that type of incident. Is this something that has um, impacted how you uh, um, kind of interact with lesser experienced divers when you're in similar situations? Are you aware of kind of, you know, saying, look, if something like this happens or, you know, I remember when this happened to me and kind of more aware that, yeah, you know, they, they haven't had that happen to them and, and maybe that you do have some kind of wisdom to impart to them. I believe I do. I believe strongly in firsthand knowledge and firsthand knowledge, given the time that I've been doing this for 20 years, there is a lot of experience that I may take for granted, but is, is very vital for a, a, a newer diver, a younger diver, or someone just getting into this type of diving. It's a very different experience and there are different responsibilities and there are different levels uh, of things that you have to consider from not just yourself, your gear, uh, your partner. If you're in a wreck and you start moving around, you're going to create a, a worse situation for someone that is with you because you don't exactly know where they are. Um, so you don't want to stir up more inside a wreck. And, and these are all lessons that I try and impart uh, as needed. Uh, you know, if someone asks me or they, uh, you know, need some mentoring, I'm always happy to have them recognize that I am aware of my mistakes. I've, you know, you, you learn through your mistakes, ideally, and, and hopefully you live to tell, <laughs> to talk about them. Absolutely. Um, so Christine, we talked very briefly at, at the start in the introduction about some of the amazing dives you've done, whether it's the Canadian High Arctic or the uh, Amazon's Rio Negro tributaries, and its tributaries, I should say. Um, but there must be a few other spots out there that you're, you know, you're, you're still kind of uh, very keen to explore places you haven't been to yet. So we asked you, obviously, before the podcast to, to think of three places that are kind of on your you know, exploration uh, bucket list. Uh, what have you got for us? Wow, there's so, there's so many. Um, I would say I would go, probably my first one would be the Galapagos. I have not been to the Galapagos. I, I love the large pelagics and marine life. So I would love to, to be able to travel uh, with just some friends and, and sort of go off and take some video photography and just enjoy that experience. I think that from everything I've heard, that just sounds like something I would be over the moon to be able to do and have the time to do. Um, also, just some more Arctic exploration. I, I've spent some time in Norway, but I love the northern archipelago around Svalbard, uh, traveling around there, diving. In, again, you have a time window when you're diving up in the, uh, the polar regions, but to experience that would also be on my bucket list, um, spend some more time there. And uh, the Bahamas, oddly enough, closer to home, I love the warm water is a fabulous experience whether even though i'm a cold water person there's so much life um in in, in the island chains of the bahamas going far down into the Acklands, where you again you have some very large marine life uh, these are all like fun trips that i would love to do and not be with clients or on a schedule which was uh which is really asking for a lot to not have to be on a timetable 
uh, or a deadline. But with COVID, it's just, it's been so difficult to, to plan anything. So we're looking at 2021, certainly for the Bahamas, which I'm excited about. But it's, it's really a wait and see. It's, it's been very difficult uh, to get out. Of course, and, yeah. And, and are there some um, technically challenging spots down in the Bahamas? There are. If you go farther down into the, uh, as I said, the Acklands are pretty far south, you have very deep blue water. So you do have, uh, you've got white tip sharks. They're, they're really you know, unusual to, to get them. You get them in deeper water. You have some beautiful island chains. You've got a lot of, uh, you've got beautiful corals. You just, they're very untouched and unspoiled. So again, these are areas where you are on a, a, a boat. You are taking your your boat, your liveaboard, and you are just exploring. And that's what I love is more exploratory diving. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we will have the time window to do that because you you don't want, everything is time window uh, sensitive. You don't want to go during hurricane season. Uh, you don't necessarily want to go during the rainy season. It's, it's wait and see, but those are, I, that would be a tremendous gift to be able to go and, and uh, hit these three. Absolutely. And I hope you keep us updated when you do, when those trips uh, come to fruition, because we're always interested in kind of, you know, following you on various media and, and seeing what you're up to, Christine. Thank you. No, it'd be, it'd be a pleasure to have you, have you along or, uh, or chat about it after the fact. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I, I'm going to let you get back to the, the horrible New York heat at the moment. And, um, we will put your details in the video description so that people can follow you, Mad Dog uh, Adventures uh, and Exploring Women, of course. Yeah. Um, and yeah, until we chat next time, uh, Christine. Until we chat, have a great rest of the summer and let's hope everybody gets out there traveling again soon. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, thanks. Bye. Well, guys, that's uh, all we've got time for this month. Uh, but of course, we will be back soon with more amazing tales of adventure from the world's greatest globetrotters. If you enjoyed this video, of course, we would love a like below. And please uh, click subscribe if you'd like to be informed of uh, the latest videos. But until then, goodbye. <laughs>